Russia has invaded Ukraine. After Iraq, Libya, Syria, Yemen, the Sahel region in Africa, Myanmar, and many other countries, war has settled in yet another nation. Many were surprised that there is yet another war and conflict, especially so close to Europe or in Europe, so close to the home of many in Europe. However, as Christians, this should not come as a surprise because we know that we are all sinful and sin leads to conflict. More importantly, as Christians again, we are called by our Lord and Savior to be peacemakers, to be agents of God for reconciliation here on earth, to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So how could God's kingdom today look like for Ukrainians, Russians, and many others? How can we pray for the conflict, for peace, for reconciliation, and for people to know that there is hope that is beyond this world? Ruslan Malyuta is currently with us here on the call. He serves as the network strategist for One Hope, a global ministry that helps children engage with God's story. Ruslan is Ukrainian and he happens to be in Switzerland for the past month. He will tell us why he's here in Switzerland. And now he is stuck in Switzerland because of the conflict. Ruslan? Thank you. Thank you, Vissam. Uh, hello, everyone. It's been a very strange, of course, season for so many people, including myself and my family. I mean, part of this strangeness is to talk now about your life before the war and before it all started and after. And before the war, of course, what my work was primarily focused globally on working with different churches and networks. One of them is World Evangelical Alliance that you some are part of and just working on helping churches to collaborate around various issues of common concern, particularly focusing often on children and families. And of course, it has changed now. I'm still passionate about all these things, but right now my main priority is just trying to do anything we can to help Ukraine as our people, as our nation is going through this horrific challenge. Thank you, Ruslan. Also with me co-hosting this episode is Matt Jones. Matt works here in Geneva with human rights defenders in Eastern Europe, and he has been very busy because there's a human rights council session ongoing. There's been an urgent debate on Ukraine and a lot of work on Russia and in Ukraine, and this is part of his work. Welcome, Matt. We're grateful that you're able to take time with us this week to join us and co-host this episode. Hey, Wissam. It's a pleasure to be with you both today and really good to be in touch with you too, Ruslan. It's really quite a crazy moment, but it's always worth taking a little bit of time out and, and reminding ourselves as Christians how we can be praying into the situation as we see it at the moment in Ukraine and, and praying for our Ukrainian friends and colleagues and loved ones. So it's really a pleasure to be with you both today. Thank you. So, Ruslan, can you tell us a bit, you're currently in Switzerland, uh, where are you now? So, what happened was that I've been serving globally for almost 10 years now, meaning that I live in Ukraine, but my work has taken me literally uh, all over the world. And about a month ago, you've probably all seen uh, the build-up to this situation. My wife and I, my wife Anna and I, we started praying and thinking, should we respond in any way? My take on that was that big war is possible. I always sense that there can be a big war. And also want to remind us that in a way, war started in Ukraine back in 2014, when after the revolution, Russia sponsored the separatists and the war started in Donbass. So in a way, we've been living with a war in part of the country for quite some time. So about a month ago, when we started praying and thinking, both of us, we, we got this sense that it might be good to go for various reasons. Uh, one of them is because of my work, I need to be able to travel, I need to stay connected. But still, it still felt like something like a distant precautionary measure. 
we just blessed to have some friends here that invited us to stay at their place. So I remember it took us about a week to process the decision, kind of pack some things. We have five children, so any kind of logistics are always complicated. Long story short, so we're right here, continue to pray for Ukraine, you know, kept in touch with everyone there. And now I will always remember the morning on February 24th, 5 a.m. Uh, local time, when our oldest son, Max, he came to our bedroom and said that the war started in Ukraine. And that's now why our life is divided between uh, anything that happened before that moment and then the horror that has been happening since that moment. And of course, I realized that our family, we are in safety, so we have what we need. And uh, looking at people in, who are in the country who are fleeing now, I know that our situation is much, much, much better than most vast majority of Ukrainians. But it's still been probably the hardest two weeks of our life. And by talking and uh, interacting with so many of our colleagues, friends, relatives, I, I'm just, it, it, I, I, I have no words to explain the pain and the hurt that people are experiencing now, millions of people. I think I can safely say that there is not a single person in Ukraine or who are related to Ukraine that is not going through some kind of suffering and pain at the moment. Yeah, we're so sorry to hear that. Uh, I mean, as a Lebanese, I want to say I understand because we've been through so many wars and more recently the influx of the Syrian refugees. So it feels like a deja vu. So Ruslan, can you give us this very briefly, like examples of your work in Ukraine before you came to Switzerland, before the war started, just to give people a benchmark on what God's work looked like before this war? Yeah, of course, again, with, uh, from for me personally, most of my work still was outside Ukraine, although I lived in Ukraine and even during COVID, I was there in the country. So Ukraine is home. I just want to uh, say this very clearly. I mean, Ukraine has always been my home and we love, we love Kyiv. We live just uh, outside Kyiv. We love the city. And uh, so most of my work has been beyond. But I mean, I've spent many years serving in Ukraine. And even to now, I'm involved in a number of things. So I can just give some examples. For quite a while, the main focus of my ministry was orphans and vulnerable children. And about 12 years ago, a group of uh, leaders, friends in Ukraine initiated, I can say, a movement called Ukraine Without Orphans. So that was something that I've been very involved. I'm still on the board of this initiative. And there have been tremendous amount of work done to develop family-based care, which I know with the war, with the full-blown war going on in the moment, it's kind of really hard to know that what we've been praying for and working so hard toward to see every child growing up in a loving and caring family, one can say almost like that vision has been smashed into pieces. But I don't think actually that's the case for two reasons. One, there have been already a lot of incredible changes happening in Ukraine over the past 10 years in the way how people held vulnerable and especially the children who need families. But also now, while this is a horrible situation, of course, there are many new orphans and there are millions, literally millions of displaced children. But I'm so encouraged by seeing how churches, Christians, organizations rallying together to do what they can to help to help everyone who needs it, but also, first of all, to help vulnerable children. I'll just give one quick example of this. A good friend of mine, Nikolai Kuleba, who was part of this initial group that worked on lunch in Ukraine without orphans, eventually he became a president's commissioner for children's rights. He worked for several years with the previous president, Poroshenko, for three years with the current president, Zelensky. And now with everything that is going on, he and a number of people around him, and I'm also involved from abroad, 
they are helping to evacuate children who are vulnerable, children from state orphanages, foster families, children from Christian children's centers. So this would be one example of how some of the work that has been happening before now has, of course, in a very different environment, but it's happening with the same vision to make sure that every child is in a safe, loving family. It's just much, much harder to do it now. If I may, Ruslan, as someone also who's over recent years made many trips to Ukraine and traveled quite extensively in Eastern Europe, I've always been extremely impressed, if I can put it this way, with Ukrainian civil society in general. Vibrant, creative, active, you know, really its presence within wider society, I think has been quite remarkable if we, if we look at Eastern Europe in general. But something I'm not clear on and haven't really had an appreciation for is the church in Ukraine. Do you have any sense at the moment for where the church is, how it's kind of responding, where it sits and what's happening at the moment in the country? Yes, of course. And first of all, thank you, Matthew. I mean, I'm really encouraged to hear you say this from uh, outside, because I know that sometimes someone who is very involved, I can be biased, but I'm very encouraged to hear that. And you're right, Ukraine has experienced and continues to experience having very active civil society. But I would say church and Christians are one of the main reasons why it's happening. So and I know that we don't have time to go into the details. But as someone who spent my entire life in Ukraine, who's been actively involved both in Christian initiatives and in secular and governmental initiatives, especially when I was primarily focused on Ukraine previous 10 years, I would say that this is the result of freedom that is being paid for, if this makes sense. Because the freedom that we have enjoyed in Ukraine, it did not come easy. You know, I still was born in Soviet Union, so although I was a teenager when it collapsed, but I still have some idea what it is to live under that kind of oppressive society. And then, of course, we went through years of struggling, you know, after everything had to be rebuilt. And then there was a series of major events like Orange Revolution in 2004, which was peaceful, but it still, I mean, it still was difficult. Then, of course, another revolution. So my point is that Ukraine, I think, by some kind of God's grace, as a society, was able to move in this direction of freedom. We still have a lot of challenges, corruption and other things, you know, a lot of things we've inherited from Soviet Union. But there was always this drive toward freedom. There was always this initiative from people, people increasingly believing that, yes, we, we, I mean, this matters, like we can do something that matters. But I want to now just underscore this point. A lot of this is coming from the church. Evangelical church, which while percentage-wise it may not be huge, I think we are still probably looking at maybe 3% or so, but it's very active and there are 13,000 evangelical churches in Ukraine, but also Christian church in general. Catholic church is extremely active, probably in terms of general society involvement, probably the most active Christian group, even Orthodox church. So I would say that the church has played a vital role in Ukraine having this active civil society. And you can see that now. I mean, while I'm not in Ukraine, every day I've been connecting and talking with multiple people in the country, in many parts of the country. And I can say confidently now that the church in Ukraine, all denominations, literally even today I was talking with a key Pentecostal leader who told me himself that Orthodox Church is very active too. It's his own words from this morning. So I would say that the church in Ukraine now is rising up to this challenge and doing everything it can to respond. 
And that then leads on naturally to us thinking how we can be praying for the church, for Ukraine, and for Ukrainians. And if I just reflect my own experience over the last couple of weeks, I've had myself moments of feeling extremely helpless, you know, overwhelmed, quite disempowered with the images that we're seeing on our TV screens and the news reports. But I'm reminded of, once again, the power of prayer. So, Ruslan, how can we be praying into this situation? Thank you. Thank you. There are many prayer needs, as you all can imagine. But I want to focus on several, and I'll just briefly mention them. One is please pray for those who are suffering. And I already mentioned this, that this basically means for every person in Ukraine and many who are now outside Ukraine, but directly connected to this situation. Of course, the range of suffering is big. So it can be people who are still in Western Ukraine in relative safety, but as you've probably been watching on the news, a number of cities in Western Ukraine have been bombed just yesterday morning, again this morning. And then also all the way to those who have experienced probably the most horrible situations one can imagine, losing their loved ones, losing everything. You know, I, I can tell, I mean, I, I think most of the listeners probably know these stories, but something that struck me yesterday is a young man my age who was not at home when the war started. He could not go back. And then his wife and to his sons and to their dogs, all of them got killed along with a Christian volunteer who was helping them while they were trying to evacuate. So I cannot imagine the horror that this person uh, is going through. So please pray for, and then people who spend, I just was connecting with some of them recently, people who spend seven, eight days in basements with heavy fighting going over their head and having no idea if they're going to survive. So please pray for those who are suffering. And I also would want to add, pray for those who are suffering in Russia too. It may not be easy for me to say that, but I'm well aware that probably millions of people in Russia are suffering because, I mean, many of them, they are losing their relatives, you know, their sons, their fathers. Many are being uh, vacant to this reality of having lived uh, in deception and lies because it's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to believe in the narrative that Russian government has been promoting. So I would also say, please pray for those who are suffering uh, in Russia. Then second prayer need is pray for those who are helping others. And we just talked about this a little bit. Again, it's incredible for me to see how many people in Ukraine, and I'm emphasizing in the country because it means that many of them are doing that while being endangered, while risking their own safety or sometimes even risking their own lives. Again, I talk with some of them almost every day. So please pray for them. Pray for them because as they're helping others, they are hurting themselves. They've been wounded. They might have lost their houses or even close loved ones. But please pray that God will give them strength, that God will give them resilience, that God will give them wisdom. I'm sure that most of people heard about President Zelensky say, refusing to leave and saying that he's going to stay in Kyiv where his responsibility is. And it inspired many. But what does not make on the news, there are many others like him. I know a number of pastors in Kyiv, my own pastor in my church, who, yes, he put his family into a relatively safe place, but he is right there in the middle of bombing, in the middle of evacuations, under direct threat from increased fighting. But again, you may not hear on this on the news, but I'm just saying there are many, many thousands of leaders, Christian leaders in Ukraine, who said that, yes, we are, and I'm part of the another group. Some left and now trying to do everything we can from the outside. But I just want to underline that those who really need most of our prayers is those who are staying there, helping others, and are endangering themselves. 
And then the last point that I want to ask to pray for is to pray for a miracle. Pray for God to do a miracle, because I think that's what it would take, a miracle that would help Ukraine to not only go through this challenge and survive, but to go through this war and emerge even as a freer and stronger country, where gospel is being preached and country when God's kingdom is, is spreading both within and beyond its borders. And I will add that I think what's... Uh, I might go into a controversial ground now, but I would also say pray for the regime of Putin to end. I think at this point, I can very confidently say that too. I th- I, I'm grateful for people who prayed for Soviet Union to collapse and Iron Curtain to collapse, for people who prayed for Hitler's rule to end. And I think along those lines, it's just my perspective, but I think I can say, please pray for Putin's regime to end in Russia and for peaceful change of government in Russia. Thank you, Ruslan, for sharing us your prayer points. Um, what do we pray for Putin himself? Let's imagine you are like the Old Testament prophet. You, you, you're going to the king and you're going to tell him something. And you know that the king has a responsibility from God to rule well and to respect the inherent dignity of every person that he rules over. What do you tell him? Yeah. This, and by the way, I just want to want to say that it was not an exhaustive list of prayer needs. As I said at the beginning, there are many. So I appreciate you mentioning because I think it's also important. It's important to pray for Putin, and important to continue to pray for change of Putin's heart. I think it's still possible, uh, but I have very little uh, reason to believe that it can happen. But God is God of miracles. So if I were to come to Putin. I would say that he needs to repent, but that repentance needs to follow his actions right away or almost even start with actions. That's why I'm saying that I think it's important for the regime to end because that's how this war can be stopped. And again, it's not going to go easy. I'm, I don't want to go into political side of this. But as we are talking about prayer, I think it's important to pray for Putin, uh, but in this kind of context. Can I give an illustration that is going to sound very rough, very raw? But that's how I'm looking at this situation. Imagine walking on a street at night with no people or very few people around and then seeing a big man assaulting and trying to rape a young woman. And can we ask ourselves, what would we do in that situation as, as a Christian? I don't know, but I would say I would want to defend the woman. I would want to do everything I can in my power to do that. But if I won't be able to do any of that, I want to at least pray for that uh, woman to be defended. Do I still care about uh, this person? Yes. Or in a big scheme of things, yes. Uh, I want every person to come to knowledge of God. But at that moment, my priority would be to defend that woman. And at that moment, my priority would be to do everything I can to protect her. So that's how I'm looking at the current situation. And I think it's important. Uh, It's important to keep in mind what's on the other side. But I just wanted to give you an illustration about my perspective on what's going on. And I think you're right. I think when we hear, we know ultimately that when we have a heart and we understand and see and recognize injustice, we know that it's so much greater for God, right? When we're crying out you know, for justice in a situation of gross injustice, we know that that cry is always heard by God. And that his ear is always open to cries of injustice, and particularly when his people are crying out and pleading in a moment of gross injustice. So I think you're right there, yes. Can I uh, intervene here and just say something? What if the people is crying out against injustice out of 
nationalism. I mean, look at when Jesus came on earth. There was injustice and there were cries against injustice, but the Jews around him didn't see Jesus. They were seeing the injustice and then their nationalistic filters blinded them from Jesus. And they were acting to end the rule of the occupiers. And there were insurrections. They were, I mean, at the end of the day, Barabbas, he was leading a violent insurrection against the occupation forces, which were the Romans, and that blinded them from seeing Jesus. They were seeking freedom. They were seeking freedom not from sin, but from the occupation. But ultimately, they could not see God's plans. Is there a, a risk that this happens in the context of Ukraine and Russia and in a broader context of, I mean, it's been years of more and more talk of Christian nationalism? Yeah. Isam, I think you're raising a really good point, and I would say, yes, there is a risk. And I think I can say that I probably see some of this happening. And and here is what my response would be. What you just said about focusing on Jesus is the key. When we are talking about how Christians should respond to anything, not just this horrible situation, but pretty much to anything, I think what needs to be happening for each of us, for what we need to do is to focus on Christ and to discern where he's leading us. And here's what something that I've discovered even over past several months. It's not like it's completely new, but for me, it's not just very live experience, is that we cannot expect God to lead us in same ways. Basically, God can lead people to do different things in the same situation or to do same things in different situations that will still be completely aligned with his word, with God's kingdom values and so on. What I'm going to mention now, it might again, that might be hard. My point is that some of this depends on the situation. When the situation with Judea back then, 2,000 years ago, was different from now, when there is international law. There are certain things that the global community had. Uh, again, I know that there is a lot of criticism there too. But my point is that some of this is also context where we live. But that's why I think solution is not to be very acute in terms of politically or so on. I think solution is really for each of us, regardless of our role, to be attuned to God's leading. And I think sometimes it means doing some really, really hard things. Like in this case, I said, sometimes staying in the middle of the war zone. Some people got my lead to leave. Some people got my lead to stay in the very same situation. And, and I think it's important for those who stay not to say, oh, well, the only way God can lead you is not to stay. Or for those who leave to say, the only way God could leave you is to leave. I'm just using this as an illustration. Same, for example, I've been always kind of probably pacifist in my heart. Not just this situation, but past eight years challenged me to reassess this and ask myself, what should Christian do if there is a direct threat to his community and family that can only be at this moment stopped with him taking a weapon and defending himself? So my point is, can this be a response that would be aligned with values of God's kingdom at that specific situation? I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but what I'm trying to say is that there are no templates here. There needs to be a very living, ongoing relationship with God that will allow us to discern what we need to do in a specific situation where we are, when we are. And, and only then we, we can, otherwise we'll just, it'll just be legalism that says, never take arms or always take arms or things like that. There are no templates, but there are examples and historic precedents. You mentioned the word pacifism. I mean, how does our Christian faith inform our attitude towards war and peace in general? And 
violence and non-violence. And consequently, how do you approach this conflict? I've seen a lot of Christian leaders support on Twitter, especially and else in the community. And when they speak up, they support the Ukrainian resistance. But I have a major problem with this. And I'll tell you why. I'm Lebanese. The Christians took up arms during the civil war to defend their loved ones. And you know what they ended up doing? They ended up killing, murdering, massacring Muslims, raping Muslim women. And then by the end of the war, the civil war, there was the worst destruction on the Christian areas in Lebanon came because Christians were fighting among each other. The the worst phases that we spent us, me and my family, in the bunkers and the in the shelters, was in the end of the civil war because there was the Christians were fighting among each other. Supposedly, what what began as a fight to f- protect the Christians. This is one case. This personal case. Look recently, uh, the the president of Ethiopia won the Nobel Peace Prize only a few years later. After that. To, to oversee massacres, oversee his military besieging population and causing famine. And this is just a glimpse of, of what, I don't know. I mean, are you sure that we can, that people can support Ukrainian resistance? I, I mean, they, they have the right to do so under international law. I'm not saying they're doing something wrong. What I'm saying is, what is our prayer and role? I mean, we start off by saying we need to pray correctly. I have a big problem in... Christians vocally supporting armed resistance. No, I understand this, Wissam. And by the way, I'm so sorry for what has happened in Lebanon. I'm a bit there, but of course, you've been through this. And of course, there are many other examples. And you're right. And again, I'm not trying to defend certain approach, but I would say I am praying for those who defend. I am praying even for Ukrainian soldiers, not just Christians who are defending their homes. But I would put it this way. Even we know many examples in the world history when what started as an effort to bring good news to people, especially in other places, ended up as colonization, ended up with killing and so on. So it does not mean that we should not be trying to bring the gospel. It means that We need to be really tuned to why we are doing what we are doing and what it actually means. I guess what I'm saying is that you're right exactly. Something that can start with the right intention and can be, I think, justified fully, even by according to God's kingdom in the beginning, can then spiral into something awful. And I just used an example from a completely different area. But unfortunately, that's often the criticism that Christians get to this day that efforts to evangelize ended up in, in almost mass murders. Many Christians who were going to Asia or to America or to Latin America, they were going there to evangelize, to bring the gospel. But if you look at how it developed, it ended up of maybe not that by the very same people, but often by the very same people, ended up in colonization. I'm just going into history now a little bit. So I'm, what I'm saying is that what started as evangelism effort, or at least under the guise of evangelism, had ended up in something really bad that we as Christians still feel bad about. But my point is, it does not mean that the desire to evangelize, desire to see other people come to know Christ is wrong. It means that there can be wrong ways to do that, and there can be almost abusive ways that that is completely wrong. So my point is that it's not the act of defending your home and your family that is wrong. It's your heart. And then what happens next? Because we know from the Bible that Jesus says what's happening in your heart is important. 
So person may never take up arms, can be pacifist for all outside appearance. But if that person's heart is filled with hatred, that person is a murderer. Then at the same time, I think there can be a person who in certain circumstances taken up arms to defend his family and do what it needs today. And I think in his heart, he still can be right. So again, I know I'm going into very, very tough territory right now. And I'm not saying that these are final answer. I'm just also genuinely sharing with what I'm wrestling at the moment. Because like you shared for you back then, for me, these are not hypothetical questions. These are questions of what actually is happening now. And I see Christians that are risking their life and don't attach any weapons. And I see Christians that I know are genuinely following Christ who take up arms and defend their families uh, as of now. And that's part of why we have this podcast, of course, is to try and grapple with these complex, difficult issues as God-fearing, God-loving Christians and wanting to ultimately to, to worship in spirit and truth. And, and I'm reminded of the need for spirit-led wisdom in this situation as well. I mean, if we look back at the time that with Daniel in the Old Testament and, and how he was led to pray in the, the situation that he found himself in, having seen his city Jerusalem sacked and having been taken away by the Babylonians, he found himself led to pray that Jerusalem would be restored and that ultimately he and his people would return. And what I'm always surprised about is that he had an understanding that God's timing in, in that situation meant that it wouldn't happen for 70 years. And nevertheless, he, he still prayed for that accordingly. Ruslan, how in this situation, how do we pray in a kind of a wise way? I mean, we know in any conflict situation, there's propaganda, disinformation. It's, it's not always easy to get a sense of how we pray in a targeted way. But I'm also aware that it's really important that we're having targeted prayer in this situation. You know, how do you see this narrative around truth and disinformation as a Christian wanting, of course, to be able ultimately to promote the truth as a Christian, but also as someone who wants to pray into this situation. How do you see that? Well, you know, I mean, we probably can spend another hour just on the aspect of truth and how lies and disinformation play a role. Of course, it's always been there. But I think what we've seen, not just in this war in Ukraine, but in many other things in the past 10 years, that uh, disinformation and deception has become just a major, major factor. So I think it's also important for our prayer. I mean, generally, I think asking ourselves how Jesus would pray in this situation. Again, we can not know for sure, but as followers of Christ, I think this should really be, and I, th and I think that's, Wissam, that's what you've been also mentioning, that really maintaining our focus on Jesus throughout. Because I think what can happen sometimes, the moment we take our focus from that and begin to just not see Jesus, but only see, let's say, only see pain, the hate would come, the hatred would come right away. Because like I've seen so much pain and horror over the past two weeks that if it was not for Jesus and it was not for me trying to hold to him, I think I would have been already filled with hate. I'm still struggling with it. But with his help, I think God just is able to help me and others to work through this. So focus on Christ and then processing it daily in an ongoing way, I think, as you just met, you said. That's why I'm sharing that what I came to in this process is that, of course, we need to pray for those who are suffering. We need to pray for those who are serving. We need to pray for peace. Definitely, we need to pray for peace. This is probably the biggest prayer. But I also want to say we need to understand what kind of peace we are praying for. We need to pray for God's peace. We need to pray for peace from God's kingdom 
that is first of all internal because I've, I, in this situation, I know that I'm touching on another controversial subject. I've, a number of times I've heard talks about peace, and I don't think that this is that kind of peace that people are talking about, that the subject of that conversation. Sometimes uh, peace is used as a disguise for violence and for aggression, for other things to continue. This conversation just shield the perpetrator from the consequences. So we need to pray for peace, but we need to pray for God's peace, for peace that is a vital element of God's kingdom to come, not just for a political uh, peace. I would rather encourage every one of us to be discerning in our walk with Christ and then talk with others and shape these prayers together. But make sure that the source of this comes from our walk with Christ and focusing on verses even from our personal experience, because our personal experience also can be very subjective. Yeah, and also, I mean, for me, what I personally believe I need to be praying for is healing and reconciliation. And the problem with that is that there's ongoing injury. So your, your ongoing prayer of healing and reconciliation, because you mentioned that when you see what is happening, hatred goes in your heart. And I don't know what you're talking about because we've experienced war in Lebanon. We've seen the Syrians also, but also out of my own experience before coming to Geneva, we've seen the Syrians when they accepted Jesus, that they developed the ability to forgive and to have a, a hope that transcends whatever they used to clinch to before. And I've seen this in our conflict. And this is what I want to pray for the Russians and the Ukrainians. And also, if I want to pray from my experience of the Syrian conflict, I pray for God to be working in the hearts of the Ukrainians and bringing him much closer to him, like he did with tens of thousands of displaced Syrians in Lebanon and the region. This is glimpses of my prayer that's coming out from my experience. And I fully, Wissam, I fully agree with you, and this is needed. And I can even say that I think I already see glimpses of this. I see glimpses of this in conversations. I'm not, not everywhere. I see a lot of people that are just struggling with a lot of hatred now. But I also see people who are, or even now, are able to forgive. And of course, this is still an ongoing situation. And as I use this analogy, I think if there is a, there is a danger of rape or rape, we need to stop that. We need to do what we can to stop that before there can be real uh, reconciliation. But at the same time, I think the culprit of this situation is Putin and Russian government. It's not Russian people. Even soldiers were not in Ukraine. And you can see that in many of the... I've seen many, many videos now of prisoners of war that the Ukrainian army or Ukrainians have interviewed. And what I'm encouraged, uh, not in all of them, but in many of them, I don't see hate. I see questions. I see... I see these kind of things, but I don't see hatred. And I'm encouraged by that. Again, I'm not saying that everywhere, but some good examples. So my hope and prayer is that there will be more and more of this, even in the middle of this situation, even in the middle of the war, because that's when the gospel is shining most. When in a situation when you know it almost would be humanly impossible to forgive or humanly impossible not to hate, when people uh, demonstrate ability to love and forgive and reconcile, so you, I think in this conversation, uh, you are literally helping me. And it's not new for me, but to articulate yet another important prayer request. And I've seen this happen already like in my thinking that, yes, this is something that we need to pray in a very specific way so that God will work in hearts of people who are involved directly in this uh, war and help them to overcome hate and overcome animosity and express forgiveness and love. But I also want to say something now for my Russian, maybe if someone will be listening from Russia. And again, I know that I'm biased here. 
but I think it's important to also ask for forgiveness. And I see that. I see that happening. But it's still, the vast majority, even of Russian Christians, they either justify or at least sort of support the government or probably in shock by what's going on. So I would just say it's important for, on both sides. I'm not just saying that those are the Russians that only need to ask forgiveness. But I, I think it's important for us to also say, I'm sorry. Even if it's not my, it may not be my fault. I know that most of Russians, it's not, it's not their fault that this war started, but it's collective responsibility. So, so that's why I think it's a good thing for people to say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. But again, just to be clear, I'm not saying that only Russians need to ask for forgiveness. I'm just saying it's hard for to see how little of this is still happening, even between people who are very close to each other by relations or by faith. If I could then just jump in, Ruslan, I think you actually touch on something. You know, I'm aware that many Christians pray into the affairs of their nation, but it's also a reminder that we can also repent on behalf of our nation as well, that we have, in fact, a duty to, you know, get down on our hands and knees and ask for forgiveness for the ways in which our own nations go astray and participate in injustice. And, and, you know, that's something that we can be, each of us actually, uh, seeking the Lord over. For me, it was very helpful when someone explained to me the difference between guilt and responsibility or fault. Like it, something may not be my fault, but can be my responsibility. <laughs> so, and I think as a, so for example, as a citizen of Ukraine, for example, corruption is not my fault. I have not been benefiting from corruptions. I tried not to be involved in any corruption, but I know that corruption is, is a significant problem that we faced, I mean, to this day in Ukraine. So I'm sorry about that. I'm again, well, I'm, I personally directly may not be my fault. So I think that understanding this difference between fault and responsibility is crucial. So I think in this case, I would encourage, I would really again encourage my brothers and sisters in Russia just to prayerfully examine their hearts and just follow God's leading in this. And I just don't want to throw these super spiritual things, but I think it's practically what needs to happen. I encourage my brothers and sisters in Ukraine, please, in the middle of all this pain, in the middle of all this horror, please examine your heart. Please uh, focus on Christ. It's hard. Even for me, it's hard. You know, most of my habits over these two weeks just went through the window. It's been so difficult, such a shock, and then such an <laughs> anxious try, efforts trying to do what I can to help that it takes a very intentional effort for me to stay focused on, on Jesus and to keep my heart attuned to him. I'm just, so this is my kind of confession. Like this is hard in times like this. It's probably even much harder for people right in the middle of this pain. But but it's still something that we need most of all. Thank you so much, Ruslan, for sharing with us here your heart. I'll have a small prayer. I'll share a small prayer now, and then maybe you two can sh- uh, also share prayers. Dear Lord, we pray for peace, and we pray for the physical peace and the spiritual peace, the physical peace so that the war stops, the fighting stops, because your kingdom on earth does not include Uh, bombs and explosions and people dying we pray for peace on earth but also we pray for peace in the hearts of the men and women in ukraine and in russia we pray for peace that you provide you only can provide i have seen how your peace helped syrians forgive those who hurt them so much i pray for that same peace to be in the hearts of uh, the ukrainians and the russians Lord, I pray for for healing and reconciliation. Amen. Yeah, Lord and Father, I just um, give you thanks for 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 Ruslan and and his work, 
And, um, you know, we think of um, all of the the many individual lives that that, that work has, has touched and, um, uh, you know, through through your guidance um, has has helped, you know, particularly um, the orphans that, that Ruslan was speaking about. We pray that even in the midst of this conflict, Lord, that um, that work will have planted seeds that will grow um, a tree that bears fruit um, and, and is continuing to bear fruit, um, but that would certainly bear fruit in the future, um, that that work even if it feels like in some ways it's being lost. In fact, actually, Lord, we ask for the opposite. We ask, Father, that um, you know you have an ability in moments of trauma and crisis to bring light, and we pray that you would bring light into this situation. And, and Father, I just thank you for you know, all of my many Ukrainian friends, their families. Father, I just commit Ukraine to you and... We ask for your mercy upon this nation. We ask for for justice. Um, and we ask, Lord, that, that you would just give us wisdom as to how we can pray specifically um, for your people um, within the country, for you know the, the, the politics of the situation. Um, and ultimately, Lord, you know, we pray for guidance um, to be able to intervene in prayer on behalf of Ukraine and also on behalf of Russia as well and our Russian brothers and sisters and, and friends. Um, you know, Ruslan mentioned repentance. We ask, Lord, that um, even in the midst of this situation that, you know, people would be brought to repentance um, and to a knowledge and an understanding of you and that people would be giving their lives to you um, and, and realizing that, um, you know, you have an ability to bring a peace that you know surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of, of chaos and, and of war. So I thank you for Ruslan. I thank you for his work. Um, would you would you go with him? Would you be with him? Go ahead of him, Lord. Um, and and all that he touches, um, Lord, we pray that you would bless um, uh, both professionally and and also personally in his in his personal life, his family. Um, you would protect his family and and, and all of those he loves. Um, we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, uh, there are so many prayer needs. Uh, I mean, as I was just praying with my brothers and also thinking about it, Lord, it just there are so much to pray for. And But I want to pray now for people that are not directly involved in this, for people not in Ukraine, not in Russia, but for people, uh, especially in Europe, that are very closely uh, impacted by this, uh, Poland, uh, Romania, Moldova, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, then increasingly uh, so people in Western Europe and other countries, but particularly people in Europe. Lord, I want to pray for for uh, for Christians, for those who follow you, just to discern, uh, discern uh, and align themselves with what you are doing. Just like Jesus, like you said, that you don't do anything by yourself. You only do what your father is doing. So I pray that that more and more people in these countries, uh, they will do what you are doing, Lord. And I thank you for those who are already doing this. Thank you for thousands and thousands of people that are now doing what they can uh, to, to serve, but also praying and interceding. 
So I pray. I pray that you will guide. I pray that you will uh, reveal your ways. I pray that you will give wisdom and strength. That this will be not only a response to the war and the conflict in, in Ukraine and then with Russia, but this will be a, a, a season of awakening in a way that may not have been possible before, Lord. Yeah, this is a huge tragedy that is shaking now foundations of the existing uh, world situation, but you you are the one who can uh, who can do things in this in this situation that we cannot even imagine lord so that's what i'm praying both in very individual cases in very specific people's lives family lives that you will you will you will do your work in lives of people in uh, eastern and western europe as they are being shaken and that they are responding to this conflict Lord, and also pray at a like more wider level, just for for your church to shine, Lord, for your church to be the city on the hill, and to be the light and the salt for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ruslan. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this episode. We hope our episode informs you how to pray in order to bring God's kingdom to earth as we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you again for listening and please share this episode so that we can help others learn how to pray for Ukraine, for Russia and for the church to be salt and light amid conflict. Bye bye for now.